0: Turn, on the, Turn on the radio. My homie up. got a new show and it's time to play it down. I it hope though. you got in tune. He's talking, talking bigger you business. He big make, make a lot of you moves. A you welcome got to the Startup time. Showcase. I'm, saying, I'm your host, Turn Scott Catoon. You're listening to WGN Radio EM 720. We are going to jump right into our show with this one because we've got a good one, folks, as you probably heard during the crosstalk. Well, it depends on what side you fall on this, I guess. Jeff Perlman, are you there? I am here. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Jeff Perlman, the author of Football for a Buck, as well as many other things. Uh, I'm a huge fan, so I'm going to try to not fanboy this too much. Uh, but I want to uh, give you a heartfelt thank you for taking the time on a Saturday to, to join us and rip on rip on some bad decision-making.
1: Yeah, well, I, I, one other thing I have to do is take my son for a haircut. So this is equally fun to watching my son squirm <laughs> in a barber chair. How old so. is your son? He's 11. Oh, and still not up. only is he 11, he is the owner of three different USFL jerseys.
0: Oh my God, legend, legend! I had uh, I had Warren yep. Moon. I had a Warren Moon jersey from there.
1: <clears throat> uh, that's pretty good. But Warren Moon didn't play in the USFL; he played in the CFL. Oh, is this totally CFL? Different. That's
0: right. That's right. That's right. It was. Uh, I'm thinking of the other. It was Jim Kelly and uh, Herschel Walker and those folks. That was the USFL. Correct? Steve Young. Yeah. Yep. Steve Young. Correct. Yep. Uh, well, so here, let's the deal. Let's let's jump right into this. I want you to first kind of share with us uh, the concept of the book, what the book was about, why you wrote it. Um, as a you know, I, I, when I think of the USFL, I, I, for whatever reason, I think of uh, like the WCW and like WWF in the in the original days. There's like a difference of like we're we're more fun and that kind of stuff. But why don't you give everyone listening sort of a background on on USFL and and the reason that you decided to write this book?
1: Well, I. Uh... I was a kid of the '80s, and when I was 10 years old, this new league started called the United States Football League, and it was the Spring Football League. It was here to challenge the NFL. Um, the idea was really good, really, really good. It was we were going to have regional drafts where, you know the uh, you know the Philadelphia Stars will get a lot of their players from Penn State and Pitt, and Tampa Bay Bandits going Florida and Florida State, so you'd have these built-in fan bases. You got to spend money, but not a ton of money. You can get two marquee players ish per team, and the rest are a lot of sort of really good, but maybe not NFL caliber, quite guys. And slow growth. And I remember basically what happened is they uh, in 1983, the Heisman Trophy winner, reigning Heisman Trophy winner, was Herschel Walker from the University of Georgia. And Herschel Walker was a huge, huge star in sports at the time, and he wanted to come out after his junior year, but the, uh, the NFL wouldn't draft juniors. So he reached out to this new league, and there I am one day in the Mailpack Public Library in Mayo Pack, New York, looking at the Sports Illustrated cover with Herschel Walker on the cover. And so I was hitting pay dirt, Herschel Walker of the New Jersey Generals. Oh, wow. And my head exploded. I was just like, wow. And then you open it up, and there was 12 teams, and the helmets were just insane. The, the helmets were insane. It's like the Michigan Panthers and the Philadelphia Stars and the Denver Gold, and they were explosive and these colors you'd never seen before. It was just so good. So um, I was just in. That's pretty much it. I was in, and I love the USFL, of L., and I want to write this book for a million years, but no one ever wanted me to write the book, and finally I just said to hell with it, I'm writing this book.
0: Well, I'm glad that you did. Um, I'm going to get the uh Dixon, who was the guy from New Orleans, right? That's the, the guy who kind of jump-started this whole uh-huh. deal. Uh, was it was, yeah. was Marcus Dupree, was that their big signing, the big one that, that they did, or am I in the wrong league again?
1: You're in the right league, but I would not say Marcus Dupree was one of the 10 biggest signings in the USFL. And that's how big the USFL was. They got, right. so among others who, who started in the USFL, Herschel Walker, Doug Flutie, Jim Kelly, Steve Young, Reggie White. It was a stars league. They were taking Craig James from SMU and Jermaine Johnson from Grambling, Tim Spencer from Ohio State. They got Marcus Dupree when he came out. It was just... It was like the the NFL when it, when the USFL started. The NFL called the USFL the useless. <laughs> like they joked about it. Yeah. This is a joke. Who gives a crap? This is nothing. And then Herschel Walker, and then all these other guys, and they realized it was no longer a joke. It was holy crap. We're in a little trouble here.
0: And, and I'm guessing this is uh, the Tampa Bay Bandits. Is that also the late Burt Reynolds?
1: Yeah, Burt Reynolds was a minority owner, and um, yeah, he was a minority owner. And uh, yeah, it's crazy. He, you know they they built this sort of team of celebrities yep. and star uh, you know power was there
0: for sure and they were like in, in football for a long time I feel like and well, even today to a point uh, because of the helmets there were, people were unrecognizable there was no star per se there was a name mm-hmm. whoever got marketed but there wasn't like recognition kind of like hockey in a lot of ways and like the USFL had this ability to have like you have a star you know when they get there and you can build the entire yeah. team around that star which is sort of like the the villain sort of type of approach.
1: Yeah. Well, I literally, I'm literally, uh, as we speak, I just called this up. I'm looking at the cover of Herschel Walker and the cover of Sports Illustrated. And even this is kind of telling. The cover is him. It's March 7th, 1983, and he's holding a general's helmet on his lap, and and his helmet's off, and you see his face, and his face is smiling. And the NFL at that time really did not market their players. They marketed teams, where you were a fan of the Steelers or the Cowboys. And the USFL was about marketing players and making stars and forming connections. It was a really revolutionary, which sounds funny, but it really was a place to sort of how the market took back.
0: Yeah, no, it's, I think there were so many things that should have gone right, and yet it didn't. And so uh, if you don't mind, we're going to take a quick commercial break and come back, and then we're going to spend the back half of this mm-hmm. talking about what didn't go right uh, and maybe a couple of people who I want to rip on that contributed to it not going right. Um, so if you can okay. hang tight with us, we'll be back here in a minute. We're going to take a quick Commercial break. i uh, got pay the got to pay the hardworking folks here at WGN Radio. Uh, we'll be right back with Jeff Perlman after this. You are back. at Scott Katoon on the WGN Radio. Uh, what are we at? The Allstate Skyline Studio. It's still hard to like convince myself that I'm not on Michigan Avenue. Uh, joining me on the phone here from the last half is Jeff Perlman talking about a, a new book, a great book, uh, Football for a Buck. We spent the first half of this conversation talking about uh, what should have been a glorious rise for the USFL um, for a whole number of reasons, totally le- like legendary marketing de- things that we do now every day that you just wouldn't have thought of uh, back in the '80s, uh, but it didn't work out. And so, Jeff, uh, let's talk about an example at home to wind this back home. The Chicago Blitz is that a uh, should have been a competitor to the to the Chicago Bears, correct?
1: Right. Well, that, the whole idea was that, and the uh, the Blitz came along in 1983. They they did some crazy stuff. First of all, their their coach was George Allen, the legendary Redskins coach. Yeah, and what they did before everyone else, they really introduced the modern combine. They they ended up trying out three thousand people for the Blitz over uh, in the early days of it. The so they had these open. They would travel the country and do these open trials, and you would have every plumber, every you know TV repairman, I was every to or girl with mustard
0: everywhere, <laughs> browers and just kraut everywhere.
1: Oh. But it was just crazy, and they, you know, they would, it was they would be driving places, like, and they'd forget their footballs, and they'd have to go back and get them again. And one of the great stories in the history of the Tribal Blitz is, so they had a system at these tryouts where they would audition all these people, and the four or five people who would earn a, earn an invitation to a mini camp would go into the stands and meet with Bruce Allen, who was the general manager at the time, and one day. This guy named Albert C. Lynch, who tried out and was a terrible, terrible, terrible football player, um, sees what everyone is doing and walks into the stands. And Bruce Allen says, "Are you here to sign a contract?" And he says, "Yeah." So he signs into a contract, even though he was terrible. Because this guy just saw what everyone else was. all the successes were walking into the stands. So he walked So later on, Bruce Allen is going over with his coaches, um, the players they signed, and one of his players, one of his coaches says, "You signed Albert C. Lynch." And Bruce Allen says, "Well, you send me Albert C. Lynch." He said, I didn't send you Albert C. Lynch. He's like, well, why did I sign Albert C. Lynch? And they just realized midway through that Albert C. Lynch figured out the whole system and signed a contract on his own. (laughs) So it was just this crazy... dynamic. And then the best thing is, after the 83 season... So the Chicago Blitz are owned by an Arizona guy named Ted Dietrich. And he didn't want to... He hated having to fly three hours to the games because he lived in Phoenix nine times a, a year. So he, the USFL traded the Chicago Blitz for the Arizona Wranglers. Literally the entire franchises were traded for one another in the biggest trade in sports history. And the Blitz hired Marv Levy as their new head coach, the famous Marv yeah, Levy. But famous Marv Levy. But they forgot, they forgot to tell Marv Levy that he was getting the crappy Arizona Wranglers from last year, not the Chicago Blitz, because the Wranglers are terrible. So he shows up, and all the great players are in Arizona with George Allen because they forgot to tell him. And then... Five games into the season, 1984, the new owner of the Blitz, James Hoffman, just decides he's done. He doesn't want to do this anymore. The team's losing money. So he's walking off the field one day with with Dan So A lot of people in Chicago know Dan. And he says to Dan Ziggitz, he goes, yeah, Dan, I'm out of here. And Dan's like, oh, where are you going uh, this week? He's like, no, no, no. I'm out of here. I'm done with the USFL. What do you mean? I'm just done. I'm just done. And he literally just gives up the team. He doesn't sell it. He just leaves it on the side of the road. And the U.S. of L, the league, has to take over operations. And they're so cheap, Marv Levy is actually bringing in toilet paper that he buys on his way to, to uh, work. So the so the building has toilet paper.
0: Unbelievable. It's so amazing to think like that it wasn't that long ago that like the biggest sport in the world in, in America was like the, a Hall of Fame coach. Four Super Bowl appearances, if I'm not mistaken, with the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. Uh, guy is bringing in bags of toilet paper <laughs> for a team that no longer has ownership. That's insane. Um, so, I mean, like, we could point to some things like that and say, like, that's why this whole thing didn't work out. But the truth was, at the same time, the NFL was, you know, it was not, like, glory glory days there necessarily either. So uh, there is some other people that played a big role in this, and, and you could argue – you know, the drug use and the wild times were bad, but this is the 80s. So, like, to me, that's, like, the greatest marketing ever. Like, I- I've actually had the luxury of having lunch with Randy White uh, in Dallas, and he is a character. I mean, oh, my God, what a character. So, like, I, I feel yeah. like that didn't harm it. There's some bad business and some bad bets. Uh, and one of those people, um, as you say in your book, I'll let you guess, one of those people... Uh, is in a prominent position in this country right now. And I would love to talk with you more about the role that uh, Mr. Trumpy-Dumpty did on uh, on helping helping the USFL uh, go straight against the NFL and get crushed.
1: Yeah, and I just want to say for all the people who are tempted to go hashtag fake news on this, this is very well documented and 100% true.
0: I will give you a Donald better hashtag. Trump Do not hashtag fake 90. news. Hashtag Trumpster fire. That's what this is etched.
1: Great. I'll take it. Because it's really true. 1983, the New Jersey Generals are owned by Jay Walter Duncan, and he's an Oklahoma oil man, and he's, he wants to sell the team because he's tired of having to come to Jersey from Oklahoma. Donald Trump steps up and buys the New Jersey Generals, and in the lead up to buying the team, he's very excited about the USFL. This is great spring football. This is fantastic. As soon as he gets the team, it's a 180. Fall. So we need to move to fall. For spring isn't for football. This is you know terrible minor league, lanky dinky, blah blah blah. Turns out, while this is all going on, he has a secret meeting that he arranges with Pete Rozelle, the commissioner of the NFL, at the Pierre Hotel in Manhattan. Uh, Donald Trump pays for the suite, invites Rozelle to meet, and says to him, I don't give a crap about the USFL, I want to be in the NFL. You tell me what I have to do to get in the NFL, and I will do it. And Pete Rozelle, who sees Trump as nothing more than a huckster and a, you know... So he sees him for who
0: he is. He sees sees him for exactly who he is. He really did. Yeah.
1: He truly did. I have to agree with you. Rosell's a smart it.
0: guy. He wasn't a, you know, wasn't a sports rube.
1: Yeah, very smart. Very smart, obviously. And uh, Rosell said to him, as long as I am uh, affiliated with the NFL, as long as my family is affiliated with the NFL, you have nothing to ever do with this league. And Trump is undeterred because if you want to say one of his strengths, it's he charges ahead. And he convinces the U.S. of L's other owners, uh, largely through lying and making things up, that there's a great fall TV deal just waiting to be had, and that he's talked to different TV executives, and they're really excited about the USFL moving to fall. And the problem was, for the USFL's other owners, is Washington's franchise failed. Chicago, as I just detailed, franchise failed. Los Angeles was in the process of failing. They needed the New York market, and Donald Trump knew he had them. So he pushed for fall. He lied about what would happen. Um, and he convinced the other owners that they should sue the NFL in an antitrust suit. Because what Donald Trump believed is it would lead to a merger between the two. And, and he'd have his way in. Be and he would have an... Uh, yeah. The Jets had just moved from, from, from New York to New Jersey, yep. and he would get an NFL franchise. And they sued. And Trump it was a star witness for the USFL, but the NFL saw him as a gift from God. Of course. Because it. he was arrogant and dismissive, and he became... And they ended up the ended up winning party. the case. That's like the yeah, party. It's
0: a free game. The
1: NFL won the case. USFL won the case and was given one dollar by the jury because they said ultimately, while the NFL was colluding against the USFL and while there was a TV monopoly by the NFL, the ultimate problem was that the USFL and Donald Trump specifically could not get out of their own way.
0: Ugh. Well, hey, you know what? That sounds awfully familiar, doesn't it?
1: Oh man. Let me tell Trump you, real quick. Trump returns three dollars. Right. Let me tell you the best thing. The best, you want the best parallel. Um, 1985, Donald Trump signs Doug Flutie out of Boston College to the highest-paid contract, highest contract in football history. And he promises his cohorts with the generals, don't worry, I know it's a lot of money, but the other owners in this league are going to end up paying for his contract. And he actually writes a letter to the other owners and the commissioner saying, I've done us a great service. This is amazing. I'm, I'm helping the U.S. around new ways. You guys should all pay for this contract. It is. I was on MSNBC the other day, and the host said, That sounds a lot like the Mexico I was gonna say, Wall. I told like, you a wall, and Mexico's going to pay for it. <laughs> it is the Mexico Wall. It oh doesn't sound God. like it is the exact yeah, same. The there are a million of those.
0: It is, it is the Doug Flutie Wall. Jeff, this has been an absolute honor uh, and great joy for the rest of the people listening out there who want to learn and read this whole story. We touched on like two things out of a thousand that are in this book. Yeah. Where do people go and, and name the book and title and places to follow you to keep up with this?
1: What's called Football for a Buck, Crazy Rising, Crazier Demise of USFL. came out five days ago. It's available everywhere. And you can go to jeffperelman.com to read more about it.
0: Awesome. You got my sale. I would love to have you come back in the show occasionally and talk about sports and other stuff because I find you incredibly entertaining.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it.
0: Take care, Jeff. Have a great day. All
1: right. Thank you. Yep.
0: That is the half for us. We're going to come back with the news. And then after that, Michael Gelfman from Dare Mighty Things is joining me in studio. Can you believe it? Um... I guess you've been listening to Jeff Perlman, Scott Catoon. This is WGN Radio, AM720. Turn on the radio, radio. my homie got a new show and it's time to play it, though. To play it I hope right. you got in tune, welcome yeah, back to the, the Startup Showcase, he I'm your host Scott Catoon, hopefully I'm you enjoyed our little random uh, random we we NFL versus it, USFL Jeff Perlman, Donald Trump, Trump. Trump. rip rip show, I would have given a whole show to it if I could have and there was so much more, I guess we'll have a podcast, I'll do the podcast because I, I'm told I can say anything I want on the podcast, actually I'm not really told, I just do say anything I want on the podcast, and so live radio, I guess there's this whole FCC rule thing, uh, they throw me in jail. I don't even know after that, it wasn't that bad, so I, I don't know if I'm, I was a little worried coming into the, up, the the segment that I was probably out here at WGN, but Jeff kept me uh, kept me on track a little bit. Uh, a couple weeks ago we talked to my friend Mike Gelfman, who does Dare Mighty Things, he's back in Chicago October 29th. Um, this dude takes us so seriously, he moves to the city of Chicago for the month and change before the event, uh, and so I found out he was here the other day, and he's like, no, no, I moved in, uh, so I decided to move him into my studio for the rest of the show, so Michael's actually here live in studio, uh, you can go to WGen Radio right now and actually stream live if you want to, it's on like the upper left-hand corner, there's a stream live button, and you can you can watch the video, if not, it looks like... Uh, our friend here is Jerry rigged a camera that we will be recording this show. So you'll be able to see some sort of evidence of this. Uh, Michael, welcome to Chicago and welcome to the show.
2: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Of course, anytime. So there's a bunch of stuff we can talk about. The show has a lot of commercials because that's the way terrestrial radio is now. And so we'll keep it, keep it short. But I just want to tell you how comforting it is to have you. I'm popping my drink right now so we can have a nice conversation <laughs> and just relax. We're going to cruise right on down. A uh, lot of stuff to talk about. What I want to get out of the way first is the plugs. Uh, I'm a big fan to the point where I'm even emceeing your event. I don't emcee events, but I do emcee yours. Dare Mighty Things October 29th. Give us a quick elevator pitch on that, and then we're going to talk about why we build things like Dare Mighty Things.
2: Yeah, the, it's Inc. called it one of the world's most inspirational tech conferences. The purpose is to show people that anything is possible. And, um, you know, we have people from Forbes, Hyperloop, NASA, and more to really share their stories about how they're building these grand ideas to give people a higher level vision of what's possible in their own life, whatever it is they're doing. And so we're going to have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of executives, tech entrepreneurs, so many people, you know, there to be inspired on October 29th, super excited to be back for our second year in Chicago. Love being here. The community is amazing. Thanks to people like you. So.
0: Thank you, thank you. Um, so I, you know, we were talking about this on the way in, uh, in this morning to Chicago. I view, you know, we're going to get into the conversation mostly on the, the last segment of the show about what we call. M- m- positively we call feeders. Um, I mean that in the best possible, worst way. Uh, We'll talk about that at the end of this, and the the reason why things like Dare Mighty Things matter so much. And I just want to clarify for people listening, for those of you out there who are part of our tech community, I think this isn't a hard sell for you. For those of you who are not familiar and maybe work a regular regular job in a normal industry, I want to explain to you why things like this matter. Um, Really briefly, putting it in business terms, I've always looked at TechNori Showcase, the startup showcase, as... Uh, the small cap business world, the the 10 to $30 million fast, high growth potential keyword being potential space. And I look at the, the mid cap, call it, you know, 30 to hundred and something million. Look at that as like a high growth potential again, potential, but like now we're at the high growth stage. And then I look at like things that are just like McDonald's, right? They're a billion dollar company. And that's your large cap. Those companies need innovation as bad as anybody. The mid-cap, in order to stay high growth, need innovation, need inspiration. And the small companies, they're not going to be there if they're not disrupting. That's their entire purpose. It's an ecosystem, folks. And so what I look at is like, any successful company, and this isn't just me spitballing, Deloitte did a big study on this. Doblin partnered with them on it a few years ago. Companies outperform the the, the SP 500 by like 25% if they apply what you call total innovation, which is to say 10% is spent on transformational stuff, 20% is spent on acquired stuff, and 70% is spent on inter, inter, you know sort of incremental. Events like Dear Mighty Things serve a purpose for early stage companies to identify that anything is possible. If you want to try anything is possible and mid cap growth companies are there to realize there's so much that we have left to do. If we want to stay in this spot, if we really want to get acquired or or replace the, the incumbent and big companies go to dare mighty things to realize, Holy SHI can't say the rest of it. If we don't keep pressing the envelope and bringing in the power players and the Hyperloops of the world, we are going to go down, down in flames. And so I'm asking all of you to check it out and look at it because for me working in the startup community, our ecosystem dries up if the big companies aren't out there
2: looking at what's
0: next. Mike, did I do this all right?
2: I couldn't have said it. I mean, that's just the best endorsement ever. So you totally got it. Did I just beat Inc.? No, I I mean, you just like, yeah, I mean, I've never heard anybody other than myself describe it so well in such a different way in a perfectly way you know part of that fabric of the community you know it's just in people understanding why they need to be it there. plays a role it play like
0: these events so, and this is I'm gonna use this as a segue for the back half of the show or the back last segment um, before I do that though please tell us where do people go to get their tickets and if there's any promos or anything that they can use
2: um, so right now there's a two for uh, f- 595. The normal t- uh, pass price is four ninety five. We also have group uh, passes available for companies who want to bring their engineering team, their product team, their creative team. That's really wh- where we have the most impact. They can go to daremightythings.co and um, you know look through the website. Amazing list of speakers. There's a contact form if you want to get in touch for more, um, You know bringing more people. But um, we'd love to see you there October 29th at the uh, Symphony Center. So.
0: I would love to see you there also. I will be there on stage doing what I do. But I, I want to say, um, you know, to this point, events, and this is my segue before we talk about feeders after the commercial. The The point of an event is to move the needle for the community. It's a way for a group of people to rally a community and speak on their behalf. And Dare Mighty Things, ironically, is the same. The night of Dare Mighty Things, the Chicago Innovation Awards, who we're partnered with, they're hosting an event to raise awareness and to award the companies that are doing crazy stuff. Those companies were inspired to do crazy stuff because they went to dare mighty things. Those companies before they dared mighty things were on Technori's stage pitching that they were going to do dare mighty things. If we don't have this kind of, you know, event ecosystem, nobody out there other than the tech founders themselves, which, you know, we know a lot of them, but they're really it's like one per 50 people as a founder You know, in here, it's actually like way less than that. It's like one per thousand. But anyway, there's not a lot of people in the community, actually. There's like 15,000 people, actually. And there's 6 million in Chicago alone people, human beings. If we don't get regular folks to come to this kind of stuff, we, we cease to exist. We cease to grow. So, what we're trying to you do is find talent. You, yeah.
2: You, you, get, you know, a lot of you, you know, you're looking for top tech talent. You, you, you know, you're wanting to find the top people. This is where they will be. This is a place to do business, to make new business connections, to find top tech talent. And not only that, but to inspire your own people. That's what they deserve. They deserve that. So, um, you know, like it, I totally agree with you. So, I think you've just described it so perfectly it, that understanding of, of the ecosystem and how it all filters into there's, there's different stages and, and the importance of each and how they all feed each other. You know, you, ca- you can't win if, if, if a bunch of people aren't pushing things forward. So I really appreciate that. We're going to take a commercial right now and I'm going to come back and
0: we're going to talk about what these events are not. How's that for a nice spin-off? <laughs> That's a nice plug, right? Yes. You're listening to Mike Golfman, Dare Mighty Things. I'm Scott Catoon from Technori here visiting WGN Radio AM 720. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to the Startup Showcase. I'm Scott Catoon. I am your part-time host right now until we find out if people like my Donald Trump-isms on the last part of the show. Uh, but at any rate, joining me, Michael Golfman, we were just talking about why I think uh, Dare Mighty Things is so cool and why I've graciously accepted his invitation to MC the event on October 29. Check it out, daremightythings.co. Uh, if you're a company, you should buy a whole batch of these tickets. It's t- it's totally worth it. I-, I went to the event last year as a MC and was just blown away. We had the guys like who worked with Steve Jobs and just crazy stuff. Um, and we were talking about the fact that each one of the events in Chicago, TechNori Showcase, the Startup Showcase, Innovation Awards, Momentum Awards is also in there, Timmy Awards. We love what Tech Crunch- or Techstars does. There's, there's other players Um, but dare many things is unique because I met people on stage that I never would have met before. Um, then I also met people on stage who I knew already because they had been at Technori stage. And so this is sort of like the evolution, Jason freed, uh, the evolution of where the company goes and, and how quickly you go from a really cool idea to like a, oh my God, that's a hot, hot prospect to, this is the big disruptor that's been acquired and is worth billions of dollars, and it's just it's it's amazing that in like five years that that whole thing can happen. Um, what we left off as a, a cliffhanger, if you will, was that I want to talk about what we're not, and and one of the things that I'm trying really hard to 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 get in front of, and that's sort of like the Mark Cuban said it best with the the wantrepreneur. I don't want to take a negative spin. I just want to maybe talk with you a little bit about. Um, building a really good event that has a mass, massive impact on people, um, and maybe the folks that are getting in the way of some of this progress, maybe I'm going to try to be a nice guy here. You're going to keep me nice, Mike, because <laughs> I'm actually not. I'm actually not that nice a guy. I, I have my own feelings on this, but we're going to go ahead and take Mike's, Mike's oh, you're, generous you're, side. You're,
2: you're a nice guy. You're a nice to guy. you.
0: I'm going to take Mike's, uh, Mike's more half-full-glass approach and say that maybe some of these folks just don't know what they're doing wrong. And so let's talk a little bit about when it comes to building a great community and and having big things happen what we got to look out for what are some of the things that have been problematic
2: well I mean first it's really understanding and being part of the community being we always you know you and I have talked a lot about the fabric of a community being part of it and I think the problem with a lot of the things are is there's a lot of companies that that You know, we want to recruit top tech talent. We want to be blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, they're not there participating, allowing their people to participate, encouraging them and just being part of the fabric. And then they wonder why they can't recruit. And so I would advise anybody, whether you're building a startup, whether you're in a corporation at any level, you should be out there being at events, having some people from your company Represent and being there, you will win long term if you are there, part of it as a natural byproduct of what you do. The best companies that that have the best cultures they always are at everything they participate, they want to support they want to be part of the community it's just not a hard thing for either of us to understand, and a lot I think for a lot for people like us we don't understand why people aren't there so i would encourage you that if you're having recruiting problems or or any sort of maybe biz biz dev problems or anything else like you really need to think about how you can become how you can add value and how you can become part of that fabric and that is showing up and allowing your people to show up those are my recommendations and i say it all the time But but like i said always the companies with the best cultures their, their individuals, their, their people, are, it's a, just a natural default state of that company for them to just be there. There's no hard sell. It's just it's just they want to be there. They're highly engaged, and that's why those companies win, because they have highly engaged people that, that, that are by default just naturally, like, they love what they do so much that they go to these things after work. They don't just go home and flip on the TV. They want to learn more. They're hungry, just like us. So those are the companies that are going to win with the war for talent, find new investors, find new business development opportunities. It's just, it's not hard. So,
0: And if you just, if you're curious in Chicago and you want to see if Mike is telling the truth, you can look just to like the Inc. 5000 list and 500 of the companies here in Chicago. Uh, Tom Gimbel, LaSalle Network. Like 11 or 12 times running on Inc. 5000 uh, fastest growing companies list for a reason. He's everywhere. Uh, he's on Squawk Box and CNM- CNBC all of them too but like he's at all the events. The Cell Network is super participatory. Uh, Relativity, Andrew Saja everywhere. They're so everywhere they have their own beer. They have relativity beer. This what? is a real thing. Are you serious? Um, I am not kidding. They have a game room and their own beer and it's... Wow. I'm not an IPA guy, but it, I hear it's good. I'd love to go by and try
2: that out sometime.
0: Well, they're coming over to our office next week, so maybe I'll just tell them to bring some beer and you can stop by. <laughs> yeah. um, and then another you know, another example, narrative science, Stuart Frankel, everywhere. Always looking to change, the, change things. Uh, you know, look at uh, Brad Keywell, massively successful with a ton of companies. You've heard of all of them from group on, all the way down to uptake, he started his Ideas Week, Chicago Ideas Week. Like these people want to have a conversation because they know that if you bring everyone to the table, you get more output. Like that, it's not this isn't difficult. What I want to rail on before we go because we only have a couple minutes left, and and this is like a four hour podcast is. These people out there, and it, it can be anyone from a small, you know, person just like us trying to make their way, to these people who have the arrogance slash the ignorance to think that they should be able to speak and just call you and be like, I'll come to your event and host a panel or I'll do this or that, or they're they're trying to to get free tickets. I can tell you, we give our tickets away now if you subscribe to Technori because I'm done dealing with those gangsters out there trying to like steal people's people. Like, I'm done with that. So now you're going to have to go have a cool space with beer and food, compete with me, and not make your money on event tickets. I dare you. Go get some. <laughs> but for those of the people like Mike, the amount of time and money and risk that you're taking to put this on for the community, I honestly, God, think that anyone who asks for a free ticket is an insult. Myself excluded from this. <laughs> it's an insult yeah. to you.
2: I mean... It is what it is. I know we're adding value, and, and I know, I mean, I'd, I'd challenge anybody to bring the level of speakers that even, you know, that we do together in one day. There's a reason why it's called it one of the world's most inspirational tech conferences. So, you know... I know we're adding value. I know we're bringing people together and I know we're making an impact on people. That's why people are excited that it's back. That's why, you know, last year was, was super hard because nobody had experienced it before. But like I said before, I knew that if we could get people there, that people would have this magical experience and understand that it's what, it's not like anything else that exists. And that's what, and I know it's worth, I mean, it's four hundred and ninety-five dollars. Like it's just I mean, the it it will take you on a journey of the mind and you'll travel a lot further than you ever could if you bought a flight to any sort of the vast majority have
0: lost more money at Rivers Casino than this in a day. Yeah. You're fine. Like yeah, yeah, you yeah, can't yeah, yeah. like and here's the thing. We're talking about businesses and business owners. I get into this all the time on the on the podcast with people. I listen. I I got myself started with this. I got to this point where we just announced this the round, a several million dollars round for Mike Roth from SMS uh, SMS Assist, uh, joined forces. With me bought out all of our investors so we can take on this problem and help companies uh, launch and fund themselves better, faster, stronger. Um, we just announced this announced this the other day. I got to this point two years ago with a podcast. I took a credit card and ran sixty six k on it just to get off the ground and be here. So trust me, I get it. If you don't have money, mm-hmm. these events. If you can't afford 500 bucks, it's the same thing if you can't afford to fly to Chicago to pitch at Technori. I got to tell you, you're not resourceful enough, or you really shouldn't be starting a company because it is expensive. We drain through a million bucks like that. Mm-hmm. It is a very difficult thing, and if you're spending money on cigarettes and booze or whatever, which is totally fine, by the way, uh, unless you're you know under 21 or 18, uh, totally fine, but... You are not spending the money in the right places. I would spend 500 bucks to go to something like this all day for the mere coincidence that I might run into one of your speakers at the John.
2: Well, that's, you know, that's that's why I always think about the attendee first. Who am I going to add the most value to? You know, I always think about, you know, like I'm designing a product that I want to use myself, which is my event. Who's going to inspire people the most? And so I always think about the attendee first. And I know we're packing a ton of value. And like I said, a lot of this is you know B two B and corporations, so they bring their teams. And so um, you know it, we're we're going to make an impact in Chicago. We're going to take them to new heights. And so I'm excited to have the Chicago tech community there and people from 35 cities. So you got it, awesome, Mike. Thank you so much. I'm sure thank that I'll have you me. back
0: in studio again before you leave here because. Why not? <laughs> we got there's all kinds of stuff to talk about, so I appreciate it. For those of you listening, thank you for listening. And as always, uh, you can follow us and, and follow more with TechNori at TechNori on everything social. You can follow me at everything social at Catoon. You can DM me with messages of whatever the hell you want. Um, and then more importantly, uh, you can check out the podcast. We're now on Spotify, and you can listen to it at any other place you wherever you get your podcast fix at. Um, coming up, the stories that matter with Bob Kessler from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom on WGN Radio. We will be back in just a second.